You're listening to Raceroo Radio, where fitness and racing are combined. Each week, you'll hear us bring you a fitness tip to help you with your fitness journey, as well as covering the latest current event news, covering NASCAR, Formula One, and sprint cars. We always have lots to talk about, so buckle up and take another lap with us. Thanks for listening, and you can always find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Facebook, you can find our multiple updates every week at Raceroo Racing, and you can find our fitness updates at Raceroo Fitness. Enjoy the podcast with Ryan and Jordan. Here we go. Welcome, everyone. The round of 12 is done. We're on to the round of eight. Going to Las Vegas this weekend with the Roval finishing up from last weekend. We're going to get to talking about that. We're going to talk about how Max Verstappen just secured his second championship, or at least still second until uh, Formula One decides or the FIA decides that the catering uh, excuse wasn't good enough in this trip, Max, of his title. I don't know how, how likely that is. Um, but I guess that that's the word on the street right now. Um, so we'll get into all that. Um, but first, uh, obviously a little different this week. Jordan is camping. So uh, I don't believe I haven't heard from him if he's been able to get a session uh, recording in for the podcast part of it. Uh, can't do that for the YouTube section of that. Um, but that's all right. You know, we talk about all the time, you know, enjoying yourself. And, you know, the mental aspect of things are super important. So I'm sure he's off having a good time. Uh, but, you know, obviously, uh, Wi-Fi and cell phone reception, not so great in the woods, wherever they're at. So uh, we're going to miss Jordan this week. Uh, no dirty talk uh, because he hasn't sent me anything. And uh, the seasons are all winding down um, pretty much every season, uh, every series, except uh, NASCAR and Formula One are pretty much on their last couple of races. And even though, you know, we're down to about four for each of those. So we're going to miss Jordan this week. Uh, and I'm hoping he texts me his pick here because I won again last week, somehow, some way, even though Austin Sendrick tried to throw it away. Um, I, I end up winning that one, the picks last week because Jordan picked Chastain and Chastain had a bad day. So um, we're going to get into all that. But first, as always, we're going to start with the fit tip. So this week's fit tip um, is going to pull from my personal experience of something recently. So we recorded uh, last Friday. We usually try to record on Thursday and Friday nights. Um, the very next day I got up and went to the YMCA and I did a virtual uh, triathlon. So I was going to actually do this at location. It was at a spot in Greensboro, North Carolina. <laughs> and uh, I've never done one. So just really trying to feel this out because I have an interest in doing a half Ironman. I'm kind of looking at a couple for next year that I'd be really interested in. So um, with all that in consideration, I decided to do this one. At first, we were going to do it on location, but couldn't do it because Kaylee has a, had sheer appreciation that day. We would be late to it, so we couldn't do that. So just decided to do it virtually. Uh, didn't get the medal or t-shirt in yet, so I'll probably brag about that next week. But I did do the race. And so it was a sprint triathlon, so fairly short, um, at least in consideration of, you know, what your Olympic, your Ironman, your half Ironmans, what those distances are. So it was an 800 meter swim. It was a 12.5 mile bike and a, a 3.25 mile run. So a little longer than a 5K. 
and so I went into this with just kind of like it fairly straightforward, I think, you know, swim, bike, run, the transitions are not going to be like a transition at a normal triathlon. And I kind of knew that um, because I was just, I would swim at the Y, go in the locker room, change, do the bike, come back, go in the locker room, change, do the run. Um, it's not exactly how it works at a triathlon. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you how it is because I've never done one and uh, not experienced enough to really um, shed light on that. <laughs> but, you know, obviously the pool swim 800 meters. So in a 25 yard pool, it was uh, 17 and a half times down and back. I just rounded up to 18, I think. Um, counting in, in the pool gets difficult. <laughs> you tend to be like, wait, did I count that lap? Did I not count that lap? So, but I'm fairly confident that I didn't do extra other than the extra half of, you know, a down and back lap. Um, that took me about 30 minutes. Uh, so got out of the pool, went in the locker room, dried off, switched into my bike gear, jumped on the bike. It was a chilly morning, a little chillier than I expected. Um, probably was just not prepared for that. I did have my bike set up with my water bottle, so I did stay hydrated through that. Um, but that took me about an hour, then got back. Um, and I'll get back to my transition on that in just a minute. But got back, parked the bike, ran inside, changed it to my run gear, uh, went on the run, did the run. Now, I'm still battling back from my ACL, so um, not really in a position where I could run three straight miles. Um, I think it can hold up. My cardio, I don't think, is really there for running. I uh, kind of struggled with it a little bit, but really, we're, we're still working back on it, and I was just intervaling it. So this, we talked before about intervaling runs. Uh, so what I did is I just carried my phone. I had a timer, two minutes on, one minute off. No big deal. Um, it was a little tougher than I wanted it to be, but you know, maybe that was also because I had been at this for all that swim and all that bike. So it wasn't just, you know, going for a normal run, <clears throat> but, um, that was kind of my experience with it. It took me two hours and 10 minutes in total. Uh, my transitions were very slow because of having to go in the locker room and do all that, that jazz. Um, especially in comparison, looking at the, the times of some of the other guys who competed live. Um, so my, my gun time, if you will, without the transitions was like, you know, 158 or 157 or somewhere around that area. So didn't really know how that stacked up. I, I know the bike, I actually ran a little long just because I overestimated uh, running down to this one neighborhood and how long it would take to run through there. So I went about a mile long on the run, about three hundredths long on the uh, mile long on the bike and about three hundredths long on the run. <clears throat> so um, I'll, I'll tell you the, the time thing first. So looking at that, I was like, okay, I wanted to see how I did when the results came in or whatever posted online. So I checked it a few days later and I got smoked. I mean, absolutely just shellacked. Uh, the winner was like a minute or an hour four. So half my time, um, actually a little better than half my time. And, uh, like comparing the splits, um, you know, someone who's, who wins that thing, you would imagine that they're at least fairly decent in what they're doing. Um, there was about a hundred runners in it. 
And so they were better than me at the bike, better than me at the run, obviously on the run. But the swim was what was kind of eye-opening. I know I'm not a great swimmer. I swim, I sink really good. Um, I typically, when I swim, I can swim for not doing it. I can swim for a very long time, I think. Um, I, I think I could go and swim for an hour, no problem, at least in a pool. But uh, not very fast because I breaststroke all the time. And so uh, my 30-minute half a mile uh there were people that were doing it in like 15 or 16 or even i think there was a couple that were even better it's kind of kind of like eye-opening like wow i got absolutely blitzed on that one in the bike i hung up uh decent with a lot of the what you would look at to be like more average people i guess but uh still overall and then the run you know i i where i should be for the run probably in the low 20s um maybe a little bit a minute or two longer for fatigue at that deep in um but with a normal knee um i think i'd have held my own there didn't did okay on the bike but the swim i just absolutely just horrible so got a lot of work to do there kind of actually really eye-opening um and learned a lot for for having an idea to do half ironman next year it was kind of a it was a good experience even if it was virtual so, but um, I did win my virtual. Um, I beat the one 58-year-old man that I competed against. At least as of now, I think someone still can, anyone can still enter their results in for another two days. But I was first out of two, and the guy I beat was a 58-year-old man. So, no shame. But uh, he, again, also did absolutely wax me on the swim. So, um yeah, I think I was actually the slowest swimmer. And overall, if I would have competed on location that day uh, against real people at the time that I competed at, uh, I would have finished third from last. So <laughs> not uh, not exactly where I think I would want to be, but good experience. Um, and I think one of the the best experiences of this whole thing was just kind of like things you don't think of is, you know, transitioning from one, uh, one thing to the other. Um, the bike, I jumped on the bike and my legs, my legs didn't feel right. And the bike didn't feel right. And I don't know if that was fatigue or if the bike really, like, I know I need to adjust the lash on my gears already, but it didn't feel like that when I had ridden it the last time. Uh, felt like it got better as it went. So I think it might've just been, uh, doing the swim beforehand was kind of, it, it just fatigued you out going into that. So it was a, something that you didn't have an experience before. So that was a little different, but the big one was getting off the bike. Now, again, this is, you're talking much, much less distance than a half Ironman, but getting off the bike, I was feeling pretty strong actually. Um, but as I'm pulling up to the wide to get off, I unclipped with my left foot. I was turning left. I was leaning left. And somehow, some way, I just went to the right. <laughs> and I just totally ate it. Went down. kind of scraped up my knee. I mean, just a little bit. Just kind of almost a brush burn. It wasn't too bad. But uh, it did just kind of absolutely plaster myself on the ground uh, a little bit. So <laughs> that was fun. And then getting up from that, I mean, just very dizzy very lightheaded it was just and i've heard that transitions are difficult because of things like this and so that was kind of like oh okay that's something next time i'm gonna have to like 
be mindful of because it wasn't until I stopped that that lightheadedness came in. So it was it was a good experience. Um, but what I wanted to get about actually, uh, so in that whole triathlon, now I was counting on this on my watch, my Garmin Vivo Active Three. Uh, according to that, over the course of two hours, three different cardio modalities and 17 something miles, I burned a grand total of 742 calories, which some people might sound like, that might sound like a lot. Um, but it's less than the, if I, if I looked this up correctly, it's less than one Baconator from Wendy's, which is, you know, not, it's not a ton. And so for those people who are like, oh, I just need to burn calories so I can eat more. This is why this doesn't work out. So backing up that 742 calories, I've done that in a body combat class in an hour. <laughs> and so you can do the same amount of calories. If you're a calorie chaser, which I am not, but if you're a calorie chaser, I need to burn this many calories for whatever reason you can do it much quicker than doing like extended blocks of cardio. If you do it more intensely, obviously, I mean, for, to go for that long, not super experienced at what I'm doing, my, my intensity had to be fairly low throughout the whole thing to be able to go for that long. So it didn't burn a ton of calories and I could burn less if I worked out more intensely um, now that's not to say you should always work out more intensely because we've already talked about how changing up your workouts, uh, becomes, you know, if you don't change up your workout, you kind of get adjusted to it. So you do need to change it up, but you get these people who are out there, like I need to burn these calories, I need to burn this amount of calories. So they adapt to what they're doing. Like, I think I've explained this before early on when I first got a, a my zone is what is called a heart rate monitor that goes across your chest. I was monitoring my body combat classes at like 800 calories in a class. And it was like 700 calories. And then it was like 600 calories because I got more efficient with the movements. You know, it became my body was more adapted to it. Didn't have to kind of stress it out as much to burn that many calories. It just got easier. It kept my heart rate down and everything in comparison. I mean, it was still intense. So don't get me wrong, but it just, it wasn't as hard because I got more used to it. And so logic is, if I still wanted to get back to that 800 number, I needed to do more body combat if I wanted to hit that number. But the problem is, is like, as you try to chase that number, if you're going for now from one hour to two hours, hour and a half or two hours, or three, then you get three hours to keep chasing that number, you have to lower the intensity so you can continue to go for that long. Well, then your, you know, calorie burn per minute, if you will, is going to go down. So then that actually makes it longer. So if you're continuously like, well, I have to burn this many calories, the more efficient you get in a workout, the longer it's going to take. It's going to take longer and longer and longer and longer. So again, it kind of goes back to the thing about changing your, uh, changing your workouts, uh, make it more novel. Um, cardio isn't always the greatest way to I mean you can chase calories at good with cardio it's about the most effective way to chase calories but it's not having that mentality of chasing calories is not going to get you where you want to go because ultimately you're gonna have to go longer 
and longer and longer, but then you have to keep the intensity up as you go, which is also really hard. So in to sum this up, if you're a calorie chaser, learn from this experience I had. I, it took me two hours to burn not really a ton of calories, you know? So we talk about resistance training all the time, how utilizing that becomes a much more efficient method to uh, burning fat and putting on muscle and yada, yada. We've gone over this all a ton before. Just don't chase the calorie model. I mean, don't, I mean, you have to have a very, very specific reason to do that, or you're chasing a specific, very, very specific goal for a very, very limited amount of time. And if you're going beyond that limited amount of time, you're probably going to start hitting plateaus. You're going to lose interest because you're not hitting the plateaus, tumbles downhill. All right. <clears throat> so that's my little spiel on that uh, long-winded way to get around to saying, hey, I didn't burn a ton of calories doing this. And you probably won't if you continued, if you would try to do this as well, not burning as many as you think anyway. So um, try to, I'm trying to pass that all information along to you. So that's our fifth tip for the week is don't be a calorie chaser. And that's why. <laughs> so this would usually be the part where we turn it over to Jordan for the dirt news, uh, dirty talk with Jordan. However, uh, Jordan's getting dirty in Let's say he's getting dirty in the camper, but we can't say that. So Jordan's just camping. We'll, we'll just say it like that. So anyway, um, we're going to go straight into the NASCAR stuff. So um, number one, I did want to back up a week. So uh, I did forget to include something from Talladega from the truck race. Now, we were talking about in Daytona. <laughs> from the truck, the cup race in Daytona, just you know a month or two ago that if NASCAR doesn't address, doesn't make a more specific call out that when the caution falls, this is how we feel the freeze the field. This is when you are no longer frozen because you are in the accident. Um, this is how we determine how you get reestablished. If they did not come out and specifically write that out, this is, this is how we're doing it. This is how we're judging it. It will come back to bite them in Talladega. It never fails. Well, then they went and did the truck race. Number one, they made a bad mistake calling the caution as they're coming through the trial. There needs to, there should be just a line somewhere. I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's, you know, at Talladega, we'll say coming off turn four, maybe on the back stretch. Um, the farther away from the start finish line you make it, it gets more complicated. But I feel like there needs to be a line. If at this point, the pack passes this point right here, we will not throw a yellow flag. Period. You are racing back. I don't care if the wreck happens or whatever. You are racing back. <clears throat> if there's a wreck, we will send safety cars out, get the ambulances near there. Um, I do feel like there's there would need to be another answer there, though, for the... You know, if if you have the pack coming off three and four, but you have a group of cars that lost the draft and are in coming off of turn two, then you're going to have to have some kind of way of telling them like, hey, you guys need to freeze. But everyone that's off all four that's wrecking, whatever, they're still running to the finish line, which kind of doesn't it gets very confusing. I can see how that could be a problem. But 
there should be a way to just say, we're not racing back from this, or we're not calling a caution at this point. It doesn't make any sense. The reason you throw a caution on the last lap is to be able to get the ambulances and the safety workers to a car quicker. So if somebody needs help, you're not risking the safety workers going out on track while there's cars running around. So I think to me, like, if you're in the trial, you, you're not saving any time. The guys that literally, by the time the, the call for caution comes down, these guys are probably already through the line. They're not until they're off the gas or on the brakes, especially with them with cars being all wrecked around. You're not exactly going to, I mean, you're more focused on not getting wrecked at that point. You're just focused on evading the wreck and getting through it, trying to gun it so there's no one swoops you from the side or hits you from behind so no one's really paying attention to that caution call is what i'm saying so um i think there needs to be a system there because you can't necessarily just say well we won't throw a caution on the last lap because of what i just said if you have a wreck into turn one and somebody is on their lid on fire you have to call the caution because even if you like well they're all everyone's all past the wreck they're going to be coming and racing towards the start finish line, you know, and, and if they wreck again, they're going to be going right back to turn one. So that's why you can't have a one size fits all rule on the last lap. But I feel like there needs to be a little bit more structure there to, to, it just doesn't make sense to throw a caution that late before the start finish line, <clears throat> but they did. And it caused a whole bunch of problems because well, the caution came out. Who was leading at the moment of caution? And if I, if memory serves me correctly, I think like when the caution was actually called, uh, Brett, uh, Ben Rose was going to be the leader when the caution was supposed to be called. But then Matt DiBenedetto was on the bottom, but he made a pass underneath the yellow line, but he might have been forced there. And then... Ben Rhodes got wrecked, but then Matt Benedetto was also getting wrecked. And so they came across the line and one car came across the line first, but Benedetto came across the line sideways. So it's, it kind of goes back to that whole thing from Daytona. Well, the caution's out, but when did the caution come out? Are you going back to the last loop? Are you going from the moment of caution, which the last lap, they say they, they're supposed to go from the moment of caution they don't go back to the last loop because it's affects the finishing order so by that case i guess it would have been de benedetto but de benedetto got was got caught up in the wreck he was getting sideways but was he sideways enough to consider him no longer frozen was ben rhodes considered no longer frozen because he was spinning out more than de benedetto was at that time and it all goes back to well the Car who came across the line first didn't actually win the race. So with all of that happening, it went right back to the, the wreck from Daytona. When is the caution out? Who is frozen? Who is in the wreck? And who is not frozen because they're in the wreck? Uh, is this person actually considered in the wreck? When are they considered reestablished? Now, considering the rule from them calling the caution, I think me and Jordan talked about this. I think that De Benedetto was the winner because he, yes, he was in the process of spinning, but he was kind of still mostly straight. 
even Ben Rhodes was kind of, I mean, he was sideways, but he was still trajectorying towards the, the finish line when the caution came out. So I think ultimately that like none of what we're talking about mattered, but it still raises the question is like, well, you know, with Harvick, he was in the wreck, but the Benedetto was in the wreck. Ben Rhodes was in the wreck. Are they no longer eligible? And so this goes, it all just goes back to what we were talking about. They didn't make any rules. They didn't make any judgment calls to say, this is how we're doing this. They didn't give any explanation. And sure enough, very first race, Ryan was right. <laughs> Called it. <laughs> so now we're going to, we're going to get back to this past weekend from the Roval. So again, I was right. <laughs> we talked about last week, the Roval has produced a lot of good racing, a lot of exciting racing. And I said that, well, you know, it's, even the first race that we, that we were there, I think there was a lot of skepticism, like, how are these cars going to do on this track? It's very tight for a road course for these, these cars. Um, tough to find places to pass. Is this going to be a good place for us? What had been, it had been a very good one. The very first race set the precedent. Um, unfortunately, a lot of it is beating and banging and pushing and shoving, but, you know, that's what's entertaining and that's what you know, it theoretically would put fans in the stands. But I said that we were kind of due for a boring race because we've had so many compelling, interesting races. Um, and for most of it, I guess it was because I was at the Renaissance Festival, so I didn't get to see it live. I did see the a lot of the replay. And it just seemed like, it. you know, we hear how it's hard to pass everywhere. But because of the, the, the new car and how the, the shifting goes in the new car and the gearing in the new car and how gripped up these guys were, it's just it's hard to find a speed variance to where even if you're faster, you can you know, get your nose in there on somebody without completely diving it in recklessly. Um, and so it was fairly tame for most of the race compared to what we've had before until the very end. So I'm, I was following this on my phone and, uh, at, at, at first, you know, I'm watching the leaderboard and it was like, Oh, cool. Chase Briscoe is well in the points. Like, like I'm actually doing math in my head because I'm seeing, well, Suarez is down, but Suarez got more stage points than us. I'm like counting this in my head. And then I'm like counting how many, he was down because he was having the power steering. I didn't know what problem he had. I just knew he was well, well back in the pack. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. Um, if we do, if we go off this right now, uh, Chase should be plenty good on points. <clears throat> then caution came out and I'm just like, oh crap, what's happening? I'm seeing Harvick is running third. And so I'm like, okay, it's okay, it's okay. We're still in good shape. We had all we had to do is beat Austin Cendrick, and we're in the good. And sure enough, the next thing I load, Chase Briscoe's look down, Chase Briscoe. I guess he had spun, is what ended up happening. And so I'm like, oh no, here we go. But at that point, Harvick was in the lead. So I'm like, well, I guess we're gonna win a race and Chase isn't gonna get, get in. And both of those things were not true. Uh Chase led a uh um great 
drive back up through the field. It helped that uh, there was kind of a couple dust ups in the midst of that, and uh, it helped up that helped us that Austin Cindric decided to get overly aggressive and kind of take himself out of contention and uh, spun himself in the in the bus stop there in the backstretch. So just a lot of things went right down the stretch on the last uh, the last restart to get Chase into the next round. <clears throat> but we want to talk about the last lap. So we we see how Cole slows down on the backstretch. Cole Custer slows down on the backstretch. We see or hear the uh, the radio transmission from Mike Shiplett to uh, Cole going down. I guess it was down the backstretch or it was going through the infield as it's kind of not clear on what people are saying but uh they he says that uh cole i think of a flat tire slow down slow down slow down and apparently he couldn't see the cars from that spot um sounds like to a lot of people it was kind of uh fixed that you know they cole's just slowed down to help allow chase to get through which ultimately didn't matter because at the time that this all went down chase was uh even with kyle larson and was gonna have the tiebreaker due to his fifth place finish at texas which who would have thought that that would have come into such a big play but um with that being said because cole slowed down allowed uh briscoe to get a couple points it uh nascar determined that it was worth suspending uh shiplet finding cole custer so you know back-to-back weeks stewart haas racing got hit with a bunch of penalties a lot of money thrown out <laughs> at penalties um i'm not going to necessarily sit here and, and defend um that point i will say this you, you you couldn't make a good argument i don't think that going into that last restart anybody was really sitting there saying, okay, well, if such and such gets so so far up here, we're going to do anything. Um, I don't think any of the teams really were going to be able to orchestrate that the way it was going down. I think it would have been very difficult. I think it just happened to be with Cole that Chase was two cars back and, you know, in the situation that they were in, they could allow Briscoe to pass, maybe. Um, I don't necessarily think he was intentionally throwing a block. I think he just slowed down. Um, now, do I think that there was something maybe done pre-race? I think every single team in the chase that was on a cut line um, was having conversations about that uh, pre-race. You know, uh, for I'm sure Stuart Haas Racing had that conversation like, hey, if it gets down to the end and, you know, Chase needs a point, and we're in position, I'm sure that Trackhouse Racing was having the same conversation. Hey, if it gets late in the race and Daniel's on the cut line, Ross, I need you to X, Y, and Z. I'm sure Gibbs was having that same conversation if, you know, Denny Hamlin, you're leading and uh, Christopher Bell's running second. We might, I don't know that necessarily that, that would, they would have went through with that, but, you know, you have teammates there and sometimes they're going to help you out now the problem i have with what went down with the penalties is it isn't so much about in this instance because i know that nascar wants to kind of nip it in the butt they had, they need to make an example they need to say something about 
you know, we can't allow manipulation in these races. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with it in the, in context, but I get it. Um, I think you have teammates there and, you know, obviously they're going to try to help if they can. What I don't agree with it is based off what Cole did, he literally just slowed down. Like that's, that's all he did. He didn't wreck anybody. He didn't try to wreck anybody. He didn't cause caution. He didn't spin himself out. He didn't do anything egregiously to allow Chase to go by. He just slowed down going down the backstretch, hit the brakes. Yeah, in front of the three car, I get that. But the three car should have had plenty of time based on where he was at. It looked like he had plenty of time to turn left to go under the 41. And I'm not so sure the 41 would have fought him. I think the 41 would have just let the 14 go based on what it, what it looked like. Because, you know, even that, they would only need a point, you know. So I, I don't see how it's that crazy. But, again, I understand why NASCAR is going to go ahead and nip it in the bud and make an example out of this one. Because you could say it's fairly obvious that something was going on there. And I think NASCAR wants to say, hey, guys, like we're not going to necessarily tolerate this. We're going to – if it's something pretty egregious, we're going to – have to do something about it, whether you like it or not. But now I do want to point out some other instances. Uh, we were talking about manipulating points. Well, at the last cutoff race in Bristol, you had going to stage two, end of stage two. You had the Gibbs train out front, and Denny Hamlin kind of was throwing a bunch of blocks because Truex was on the cut line there. Truex needed to get in on points. And so Denny was blocking like crazy. He jumped up a lane to, to block that lane so that at the start finish line, and I don't think this was necessarily to try to do this, but it worked out that going off turn four, they, they were going into the trial and Denny could just check up. He could just kind of hit the brakes. And Joey Logano, I think it was the car behind him, kind of shot up and tried to go past him. But because Denny rolled out of the gas, kind of feathered the brake or whatever he did, he definitely slowed down getting into the trioval, and it allowed Truex Jr. to follow uh, Kyle through the line, so he got nine points instead of eight. Because you know, the, the points line is so tight, every point could have mattered for Truex. It didn't end up mattering, but that is, that is – it's kind of the same thing. It's, it's almost an identical thing. And I don't have a problem with it. I don't. I think that what they did there was extremely smart. Um, I think that any team in that position should do the same thing because the other three guys were already locked in. So help your other guy. It, I, I don't see why you wouldn't. So, no, I don't have a problem with that. But it's kind of the same thing of what happened here. The only difference is this was on the last lap instead of, a stage, but there were still points at hand. It was still a point that could or could not have made a difference. <clears throat> so, oh, I think I said the last cut line. That was the the first the cutoff to get into the uh, to the playoffs was Daytona. The last the the last time we had a cut, which was Bristol. You got my wires crossed there. At Bristol, you know, we had a lot of tire issues and cars had fallen out and everything well with with all the chaos and everything that was going on you had 
the 23 car had power steering issues. And so they came in, they fixed it up, they sent him back out. Well, as they approached Kyle Bush, when Kyle had his engine issues, they got to within a couple laps of him and then they pulled it off. So they didn't pass Kyle. That's kind of the same thing. Like the 23 could have easily went on, you, you know, and I know that technically speaking, they could say, oh, well, the steering was an issue again, whatever. It's very obvious to everyone why you pulled off. So you just can't sit there and say, I guess as NASCAR, you can't say that what they're saying is a lie, even though we all know to be the truth. So, but that's still kind of a, man, a manipulation of points. Like, well, we're just going to allow them to keep that extra point or points or whatever it is. <clears throat> also, in the same exact race, and we talked about this on that podcast the week after that, Joey Logano was ahead of Austin Cindric by a few laps. And Joey had some problems. Austin had had problems basically all day. And I had texted Jordan before before a commercial because of the way the cut line was looking. I said, you watch Joey Logano before the end of this race is going to park this car and sit it down for a few laps to allow Austin Cedric to go by. We come back from caution and Joey Logano sitting in the pit lane for reasons that were questionable. And he let Austin go by, by a, I think it was maybe even a lap or two and then came back out. It's manipulation of points because you allow your teammate to go by. And again, I have no problem with these. I think you should do these. Matter of fact, one of my biggest issues was in Martinsville of 2020, the year that Kevin Harvick won all those races a few years ago during COVID. And we're sitting on the cut line and we needed a point, just one point to make it into Homestead. And that's when uh, coming off turn four, Kevin turned 18, spun him out to try to get that position. And I don't think there was any hurt feelings in that or wouldn't have been any because we all know how important it is. We've seen what Kyle Larson's done to, to move into the next round a couple of times. We've seen what uh, Ryan Newman's done before. So I, I think that in that situation, you know, as desperate as they were, we needed a point to get in there. Well, Kevin had run Kyle down from quite a ways back. But do you know who was in front of Kevin? The 14. And if his memory serves me correct, I think the 14 and the 10 were the next two cars up. Now, they were a little bit ahead by that point. I think the 14 was a good half a straightaway and the 10 about a straightaway ahead. <clears throat> but you need a point. Your teammates are right there. Like, all you got to do, and you don't even have to be obvious about this. I'm going to give you an example here in just a minute of what you should as a team do. But in that situation, to send your teammate to Homestead, why don't you just pull it in for a lap? Like just, or just call over the radio. I think I got a loose tire. I think I got a flat tire. I think something, whatever, I just need to come in real quick. Whatever the case might be, just pull it in for a lap and allow that guy to get through. That's what you're there for anymore. Like that, that is supposed to be your role as a teammate. I know we have sponsors that, you know, 14 has Rush on the, the hood. And they, at that in that race, I think there was Rush. And they've got to do right by their sponsors. But you know what? Rush has also got a sticker on the four car. I think that they would agree that they would want that logo in the championship round. 
So I was kind of uh, irritated about that one a couple of years ago. I didn't understand why our teammates didn't help us out in that situation. Um, but I think that that's how it should be. You know, I think it shouldn't, what it shouldn't be is a teammate wrecking a playoff driver out for you. I don't think that that's how it should be. I don't think a teammate should spin out and cause a caution and manipulate it that way, but pulling over to let you go. I don't see the issue in that. And so that's kind of what we had in this one. So I don't understand what I don't understand is in the other situations I gave you earlier, there was nothing, no one even cared, you know, even at the, the Daytona cut line, Tyler Reddick probably could have made a, at least an attempt to win that race, but he sunk, he sat in there, he pushed his teammate like a good teammate. And that's even more of one that like really you can't argue with, but that's still a manipulation. Like, Hey, I'm still pushing my teammates to get in. So I, I don't necessarily see a huge difference in this one. So, but think of it how you will. Uh, it, they did not change the uh, final eight because it probably w- it wouldn't have mattered if he didn't anyway. Um, they would have tied or maybe Chase would have made a desperate move in to get Austin Dillon anyway, and it really wouldn't have mattered. And if he did that, I, w- I would imagine that going into that final chicane, uh, Cole would have probably just pulled on over. So, but that's, a, that's how it went down. I think there was a lot of craziness from the Roval there at the end. You had a caution for a cardboard sign being out. You had cautions for cars spinning out that could have continued on. Just none of this really makes any sense as to how or when or why they call these cautions. It's just kind of typical. But uh, unfortunately, it's it's kind of with this Roval, with the package we have right now, it seems like the Roval suffering just like our Martinsville and uh, other short tracks have kind of fared. Although, I mean, Bristol wasn't horrible. I think Bristol was okay. Um, Richmond was okay because of running in the day when it was super hot and slick. But uh, we really got to get the short track package figured out because it's just it's where we want every where we want the better racing. It's kind of like the Gen Six car and the Gen Seven car kind of swapped where the good racing is. And we want to go away from cookie cutter tracks. And that's where the good racing has been this year. So with that being said, uh, we should have some good racing this weekend as we get into um, Las Vegas. Uh, obviously from last week, Christopher Bell pointed his way in, well, punched his ticket by winning the race um, at the expense of Harvick, unfortunately for, for us Stuart Haas guys. But, you know, if, if the late caution wouldn't have showed up in the first place, Kevin would have finished third and Chase would have probably made it in anyway. And this wouldn't have been a conversation. Uh, we would probably been sitting here saying about, wow, that was the least entertaining rural race we've ever had. So, but, um, like I said, we're going into Vegas right now. So we'll get into Vegas here in just a minute. Uh, we're going to switch over to formula one. So Max Verstappen, uh, locks up his second, uh, title as of right now. Some questions going on. Doesn't sound like FIA is interested in stripping Red Bull of their championship from last year, um, but it does sound like they're going to get some some penalties levied against them. Um, obviously, Mercedes is going to be pushing hard to get that 
to to be a strip of championship. But uh, I, I think at this point it'd be it would be a hard one to to do. Uh, I think maybe that maybe they just cut their cap for 2023. You know, it wouldn't affect them if they cut it for the rest of 2022. I don't think that that would even be possible at this late. They'd have to adjust some things. But Max is already the champion, so what does it matter? And it's going to be really close here that the Red Bull is going to wrap up the constructors championship. So if they cut their, <laughs> they cut their salary or their cap for the rest of the year, they can just be like, okay, well, we're not going to show up to these races or we'll show up, but we're only going to run free practice one just to shake the car down and we'll run like two laps in the race and y'all have at it <laughs> just to keep it, keep it cheap for themselves. <clears throat> so um still have to see if there's going to be any more sanctions against them for that but as far as suzuka went suzuka uh first time we were at that racetrack for three years i think so pre-covid um haven't gone back since uh that all went down uh suzuka is a really cool nifty track really uh unique it's got the the ss section and then just a, a faster technical section in the back but um, I, I'm just, I'm trying to think in my head. I don't, it's just, it's so distinct that it's, you just know from almost every section of the track where you're at. And it's just one of those, those ones that it's just that iconic. You, you know, when you see this section, oh, that's Suzuka. So it was good to see them back there, but unfortunately we had rain. So I wanted to bring this part up because it rained pretty well all weekend. For those who are critical of NASCAR for not running in the rain, we've seen how it's turned out in the rain a couple of times. It's kind of been a disaster. But this has been the second time in a row for Formula One between Singapore and Japan that we had to cut a race short because of rain for Formula One who do this better. Their cars are more suited for this. They have more experience in it. They have the means to do it better, the tracks to do it better. And it the last two races have been shortened because they've had to short, they've had to uh, red flag races and wait out rain. So I think it's a lesson to learn here. Like, hey, stop being so critical of NASCAR because we haven't done this. We're still trying to figure it out. We're less likely to be successful with it anyway just the, the different styles of racing, the different styles of cars as well. And Formula One has had str struggles with it. And we all know what happened at Spa last year. So uh, everyone eased back on NASCAR for a little bit. Um, I'm trying to say, there was another race earlier this year, I think, where we had a rain delay, um, but we didn't have to shorten the race. But I can't remember where that is right now. But um, with just with that being said, you know, we we did have a short race, a very short, actually. Uh, it was only 28 laps. So a very short race, but enough for Max to get enough points in to lock himself in as champion. Uh, Leclerc did all he could, hung in there in second, but Max was just in a world of his own. I think I, I read. Now, I stayed up. Ooh, little bug. I stayed up till 1 o'clock in the morning to see lights out, saw lights out, saw that they – red flagged it. And then I was like, nah, I'm going to bed. No one's staying up any past that. So, uh, well, it was very late night. 
<clears throat> so I just recorded it and watched the rest of it. So um, when they went back racing, Max, I think it was like I read that they did 28 laps and Max won by like 27 seconds. Like that's a, that's absolutely gapping the field. It's very impressive. But uh, Sergio Perez uh, kind of ran Leclerc down there at the end. And honestly, watching the first few laps they went back, Leclerc hung in there with Max fairly well. So even in those 28, 27 laps that they did, whatever it was after the red flag, um, really it was only maybe 25 or so that Max was kind of pulling away. So it's even more impressive. But Perez uh, got in there, got back up to Leclerc. And uh, I think it's appropriate that Leclerc basically, it was going to be a done deal eventually. Max was going to win the championship. Uh, he was just too far ahead. But for it to be locked up, because Perez got past Leclerc on the last lap because Leclerc blew the corner, is about the most Ferrari thing you can explain this year. Or you, this is how you can sum it up. They were in position to kind of hang in there, at least. Even though they weren't good enough to win, they could have hung in there, and they made a mistake and blew it. That's kind of been what Ferrari's done for most of this year. So um, uh, Leclerc got a, a time penalty. Perez was promoted to P2. Um, then some exciting racing out back. Uh with Vettel and Alonso kind of uh, drag race into the line. That'll be kind of iconic with, uh, with Vettel retiring here in just a few races. So <clears throat> um, really good entertaining race could probably would have been a little bit more exciting without the rain issues that they had, uh, especially because of the crane incident. So if you haven't heard about this, basically while after they started the race and uh, the lap one incident, where science got uh, got out of shape. I'm not really sure if he got help there, or just spun out on his own. But um, that was a scary enough wreck, just the way he got spun. He hit the wall pretty hard and bounced off of it pretty hard. But with the ensuing safety car, uh, Pierre Gasly, I believe, made a pit stop. And as he was coming back out, um, trying to catch the field, the race control must have thrown a red flag right before he got to this crane. So there's a crane on track in the rain and Pierre, he never saw it until he was right beside it. Several drivers complained about the crane being there. Um, the FIA actually, or Formula One, FIA, whatever, penalized Pierre for running too fast under a red flag condition. I don't know if Pierre was actually at fault here or not, but we did have an interesting incident here in 2014 where a driver, Jules B. Bianchi, um, a rising young talent, was killed because of a crane that was exposed on track. And he uh, wrecked into it and, and kind of got trapped underneath it from what the pictures looked like. And that ended up causing him to pass away from that incident the next year in 2015, I believe. So um, it's kind of before I was really getting into Formula One. So I'm not real familiar with that situation, but it's, you know, it, it's out there enough and popular enough that you would think that there would be special considerations to this kind of thing, especially here. Um, 
my thing is Formula One doesn't run spotters, as they should not. Um, yeah, I don't feel like you need spotters in the sense that NASCAR has them where you're kind of telling, you know, clearing as you pass a driver or, you know, telling you how a driver's catching you or whatever. I don't think you need a spotter in regards to that. But I think it would be a good idea to have maybe a spotter per constructor or a spotter that covers all the the drivers that's just part of race control to tell the drivers if there's a you know if you're talking about suzuka hey uh sonoda's off in turn one you know yellow sector one sonoda's off in the gravel you know something like that going going up to where science wrecked like obviously things happen bang bang and the cars were much more packed in on each other so that one might be a little tougher but you can call it especially to the cars who are at the very back um that you can call them say 55 offline at turn whatever that was you can call an incident like that in in the moment rather than the team control figuring it out and then relaying the message you can have a guy a spotter who watches this sector, a spotter watch this sector, a spotter watch this sector, and has communication to all, if not just a, a group of drivers, to maybe to all of them, and just tell them what's going on on track. If you're in a safety car situation like that, you can have somebody in that sector saying, hey, there's a crane going through this area. And if you happen, to, and if you're that spotter and you see somebody coming off pit road, trying to catch the, the pack, you can say, Gasly, there's a crane, you're approaching a crane. Like, and the team may get that information, but not as quickly. You can have a person who is in that sector with communication to a group or maybe all the drivers to inform them of potential hazards, not necessarily spot them as NASCAR spots them in the race. I think that that would be a good option for them better than what they have right now. Cause you already have people around the racetrack. Just give them a headset, have them in communication with drivers. I think it's pretty simple. So, <clears throat> um, but other than that, uh, you know, the formula one season, basically going down, we need to get the constructors championship settled, but it's, I mean, Red Bull is really, really head in that. And then it's just a matter of time. Um, at one point, Max was actually so close to, uh, he was very close to just outpointing Ferrari all by himself. So without any help from Perez. So um, that's kind of a, going to be a done deal. Um, I, I had actually picked, no, that was uh, Singapore. I was saying that I picked Hamilton to win this, that race. Um, I'm done with uh, Mercedes and saying that they, uh, they have a chance to win races. I'm, I'm just, I would, I was thinking that they would uh, pull at least one off there and they were kind of starting to look strong. And I, I just, I don't think they know what they're doing right now. They're just so far out in left field that I just don't have any faith in them anymore. Uh, they're just a very, very, very distant third. And then uh, everyone else is very, very distant behind them. So they're just kind of on their own little island. But that's Formula One for you. Uh, their next race will be at, the uh the track in austin texas not this week it's next week on the 23rd 
So coming over on this side, they'll hit a bunch of stuff on this side before hitting, uh, uh, yeah. It'll go United States, Mexico, Brazil, back to Abu Dhabi to finish. So that'll complete the F1 season. Um, we'll go longer than the Cup Series. We've only got four more races left, so we're going to get into Vegas. Um, Vegas is a – so if you've never been out to Vegas, uh, it's really neat that it's outside of – it's outside of, like, main Las Vegas, like the Strip area. But when you pull out of the back of it, you can see the Strip. You can see the whole thing, like that, the skyline of it all. Um, being in the valley that it's in, you you can see – a really long way and it's kind of funny to be you know you can be down at south point which is you know two miles past the southern end of the strip and if you kind of get in the right area where you can kind of see you can see the mountains that are in behind um the the las vegas motor speedway and they look like they're right there but it's uh they're not it takes a good like 30 minutes to get out that way so <clears throat> i always like going out there to uh just see see the sights out there and everything um it's turned into a, a fun racetrack to go to i think i didn't really particularly enjoy going to it at first but um i think as as time had evolved even when the cookie cutter tracks were just god awful vegas had kind of stood out as as being a really good track so um i am expecting a good race here this weekend i think it'll be a competitive race this weekend uh i'd like to see uh, I like to see Chase Briscoe kind of step up because he really hasn't been super strong at Vegas, but although he does have uh, had some, some success in the Xfinity series, so hopefully we can figure that out and translate that over. Um, but Jordan uh, Jor did just text me. I see as it popped up for his pick this weekend uh, is he's going to pick Christopher Bell, which I think is a, is an interesting choice because Christopher was, he was the top dog in the, the first round. And then this round, uh, he had to hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth to, uh, to move on. So with that being said, let's see here. So if he's going to pick Bell. Hmm. I just don't think. I'm, I'm almost leading into Denny Hamlin just because I feel like he's going to be, he, there's just no way he doesn't qualify. <sighs> Is that a good pick? I feel like that's a good pick. Yeah. I'm going to go with Denny Hamlin. I think Denny Hamlin is going to lock himself into the championship first. Uh, no, 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 no. No, I'm just going to change it. So I'm going to go with Kyle Busch. I'm thinking about going with Kyle Busch. And this actually has nothing to do with Kyle, to be honest with you. But um, separately from this, it's going to be the next thing I get to, but uh, we'll jump into this now. Um, Kurt, this morning, I think it was we all knew it was a long time coming. Kurt has announced his he is not coming back for 2022, which I think we all knew. And he's stepping away from full-time racing in 2023. Uh, the comment said that if he gets cleared, he might be back. That to me is not very promising sounding. So we just had to cross our fingers and, and hope he comes back for something. But usually when people say that, they, they tend not to come back. 
Um, although I could see him kind of starting the, the third 23-11 program that only does run part-time. I could see him being a part of that if he gets cleared. Uh, it's kind of sad for, I mean, I was part of Kurt's team for a lot of the four years that I was with Stuart Haas the first time. So a lot of my favorite memories in racing, my best memories of racing in the cup series came while being on a part of that 41 team. So, um, and even after I left Stuart Haas and then he left Stuart Haas, uh, Kurt's always been a kind of guy that I've, I've kind of cheered on just cause I, I, I used to absolutely hate the guy. I used to, you know, when he was at Roush, uh, just was my least favorite driver. Um, and then, you know, he went to Penske and, and everywhere he's been, I was kind of like, man, just, I wasn't had enough with him and then end up being a part of his team for, for a while. And then it's kind of like, it just, it just grew on me. So, um, hate to see him leave for that reason. Hate to see him leave because he's just been around for so long. It's going to be like the same thing when Harvick leaves and you hate to see it because of how it went down. Um, it's, it's just a bad, a bad deal. Um, and hopefully that the, he can work through these concussion things, not just to, for racing, but you know, those, we talked about how concussions can mess you up in your personal life. So, um, wishing the best for Kurt, uh, going forward. And I do hope he to at least see him in something next year, little bits here and there. So, but because of Kyle or because of Kurt, I'm just going to go ahead with the other bush and pick Kyle um, for no other reason, just, just to pick a bush, <laughs> just, just cause I can't pick Kurt in this situation. So I'm going to pick Kyle, So I'm going to go with him and, and we'll see how that turns out. So uh, next week we'll hopefully have Jordan back and uh, he'll give us double of the dirty talk. And we'll break it down before going back to Homestead, Miami, which is in a situation very close to where it should be, which is back near the end of the year. I always loved it uh, in this location. If you can't have it at, if you can't have it for the last race of the year, I think it's very appropriate to have it third to last race of the year because I think Martinsville is a really good place to do second to last race of the year if you can get the short track package figured out. So, um, more news, uh, just to finish it up, a lot of stuff going around the next-gen car. Nothing that I want to say that maybe NASCAR doesn't want to get out just yet. Um, not that I know a ton, because I'm usually the last to know. But uh, there is some things coming out. And hopefully, it sounds like we we might have a direction to go with the safety of this car. Um, and we'll just have to see. You know, um, I think we've, we've lost two guys at the end of this year, and that's too, too many. So, uh, we'll... Uh, We'll have to push through these updates and, and make this car safer. And uh, so with that being said, that is Race Roof Fitness for this week. Uh, as always, if you need any fit tips, any more fit tips, have any questions, uh, want to come see me in a uh, live body pump class, uh, need personal training, whatever it is, you can find us here on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or on our website, racerooffitness.com. Until next time, we will see you after Vegas.